This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 22nd, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The war on smoking has transitioned, it seems, almost seamlessly into a war on vaping in other countries and increasingly in the U.S., despite evidence that many people use vaping to quit the far more harmful cigarettes. Cato's Jeff Singer details the predictable consequences. For a long time, People didn't really know how bad smoking was for them. I mean, they had ideas. And at least since 1964, the Surgeon General making a big to-do about uh, the dangers associated with uh, smoking cigarettes, uh, enter vaping, which uh, by all accounts is dramatically less harmful probably than smoking cigarettes. And now we're seeing the war on vaping. So what do you make of the, I don't know, the prohibitionist tendency among public officials when it comes to uh, this new technology of vaping? It's really difficult to uh, to make sense out of it. I think a lot of it might have to do with just this uh, visceral uh, distaste for anything that resembles the act of smoking tobacco. So recently, the, the, the government of Australia uh, started a new program where nobody is permitted to get any vaping equipment unless they get a prescription from a, a physician. That's the only way vaping is allowed in Australia, which on the one hand, it sort of implicitly accepts the fact that vaping is a harm reduction tool for people wishing to quit tobacco smoke. And it's a proven effective one. So effective, in fact, that in in the UK, uh, Primary care providers are uh, encouraged by the National Health Service, and they have brochures in their office to tell tobacco smokers, have you considered switching to vaping? And uh, and they provide them with information on how to do that. In Australia, that's the only way you could vape. Uh, but of course, uh, vaping is a much safer and pleasurable act than uh than smoking is. It's, it's, it's equally pleasurable and much safer than tobacco smoke. Um, and recently, uh, be- since that law went into effect in Australia, uh, it, it had generally been ignored so that people in Australia were still able to purchase vaping uh, supplies and, uh, and liquids at uh, tobacco stores or Actually, there were vape stores still around, and and the law enforcement kind of looked the other way. But it was just announced recently that they're, they're not going to let this happen anymore. They're completely, totally banning all vaping products and all imports of vaping products, and they're going to start enforcing it. Uh, the uh, retailers uh, have decided uh, they're not going to take this lying down, and they've actually publicly stated they're not going away, they're going underground. They've actually been advertising on social media that they will still make their products available. And sort of uh, in a curious way, the the health minister of Australia said, you know, when we allowed vaping in this country, we thought it was just to help people quit smoking. We didn't realize that some people were going to be using this recreationally. That's a whole different story. So it's almost like, as Mencken said, you know, uh, the definition of a Puritan is that someone uh, is a person who is in a constant fear that someone somewhere may be happy. Uh, So so just the fact that people could be uh, vaping for pleasure, apparently that makes it off limits. Uh, uh, in this country, it's it's not gotten that bad, but we're seeing you know efforts uh, both on the federal and state and local levels to ban flavored vaping uh, or nicotine-containing vaping products. Now, nicotine per se 
is actually a relatively safe product. Uh, it's a stimulant, but it also has some calming effects. Uh, and it's according to the to the uh, Public Health England, for example, it's roughly this. It's in the same kind of classification as caffeine, for example. So, um, yeah, true. A lot of it in constant use could have some long term consequences that could contribute to the development of high blood pressure and 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 some cardiovascular issues you know heavy long-term use but then there's nothing practically that doesn't have long-term consequences with heavy long-term use of course in, including alcohol and especially tobacco uh, and nicotine may even have medical uses it's a, a lot of research is being done to see if it if it could be helpful uh, in treating parkinsonism uh, schizophrenia and a couple of other uh, neurologic uh, or psychiatric conditions. So all all that the, the, these efforts are doing is, number one, they're depriving people who would like to quit smoking tobacco of a very useful harm reduction tool. And at the same time, they're creating a black market as if we don't have enough things for the <laughs> underground drug dealers to deal with. So now they're giving them a new product to sell in a black market, which is going to, of course, cause this, this, uh, this spiral of... Uh, of uh, you know, law enforcement doubling down and people getting arrested, but also makes it much more dangerous because when you buy a vaping product on a black market, you don't know if it's what the quality of it is, what if it has what it says it has, et cetera. There, is there any consideration given uh, by public health officials who might be advocate, you know, certainly advocating for individuals to not engage in some activity that is harmful, but to engage with the what we know about what happens when products are banned, especially products that have addictive potential, like nicotine does. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to be. It's it's like they're not learning any of the lessons of the past. Um, nicotine does have an addictive potential, as as do a lot of legal drugs like caffeine and alcohol, um, and we because they're so popularly use caffeine and alcohol and it's it, it, and so abundant uh, a lot the the policymakers have approached them in a much more rational way which is by emphasizing ways to to make using these drugs less harmful and also if in the instances which are not not uh they're not rare but they're not common where people develop uh, a problem with those drugs to pro to approach it the way you would approach any other health problem and and offer people help but but i think this is a cultural issue this is a uh, maybe almost uh like i say a puritanical issue where there are certain kinds of drugs that that are somehow off limits the only reason uh, the, the the only dangerous thing about nicotine addiction is that most people who are addicted to nicotine get their nicotine through tobacco smoke. And tobacco smoke carries with it all of these harmful components, these carcinogens and other products that, that cause cardiovascular disease, et, et cetera. If, if you have nicotine by itself, it's true, it can be addictive to some people. But like I mentioned earlier, it's generally speaking, it's one of the more, one of the less harmful uh, substances to which a person can become addicted. Right. But when Public health officials, or uh, you know, uh, the governor of New York has has talked about uh, uh, more bans related to nicotine products. Is it how do you how do you with a straight face suggest that this 
that these kinds of actions, prohibition broadly, is good for public health. It boggles boggles my mind. I cannot understand any logic. We already know that uh, you know banning many of the drugs that are already banned uh, are uh, fueling a very very uh, profitable black market. Uh, making uh, use of these drugs extremely dangerous. So by driving them underground, we already know you're not going to you're not going to get people to stop using it. You're just going to assure that uh, un- that that criminal people will be dealing in it, and that people who continue to use it are going to be taking greater risks because they can't be as confident that what they're using is what it says it is or is not adulterated. So, and it seems like it doesn't matter how many times we, we go through this, they, they just don't learn from experience because, uh, how many times we have to see this movie before, I mean, we all know how it's going to end. So, uh, we, we mentioned New York, we mentioned Australia. Uh, are there other pushes in the United States, at least at the state level to say to, out and out prohibit these products. I know that there were there was legislation, federal legislation, to make uh, vaping products harder to have delivered to your home uh, because presumably of the risk of of young people uh, using them or getting access to them that way. Um, you know what what is the push at the state level? Well, it's, some states are are trying are banning flavored vapes because they think well. Well, first of all, every vapes are not uh, able to be sold to anyone under the age of twenty one. So we already, uh, the of course, he's always going to have some people under twenty one getting it. But for the for the most part, that takes that takes care of that problem. But because it. Flavored vapes are more popular with teenagers and young people. There's an effort in many states and cities to ban flavored vapes. But what they 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 fail to recognize is it's also popular with adults. And in fact, most people who vape in order to get off of tobacco uh, uh, smoking say that it's much easier for them to to switch to vaping through flavored vaping. That if if they want the tobacco flavored vapes, they just Get the real thing. So, at the same time, so we're making public policy uh, for adults that is targeted towards teenagers, and that makes no sense. But in addition to that, we're actually undermining efforts that supposedly policymakers want to see uh, of, of people who are smoking tobacco getting off of tobacco by by taking away from them one of their more popular uh, vaping flavor vaping tools for getting off of uh, tobacco smoke. What about substitution effects? That is, we know we know one thing is harmful. We know one thing. We we suspect very very strongly that uh, this other thing is dramatically less harmful. Do public health officials ever engage with the notion that one might be super strongly preferable to another? Yeah, in fact, there's recent evidence suggesting that, for example, uh, the teenagers who engage in vaping would otherwise be engaging in tobacco smoke. Teen tobacco smoking is an all-time record low now. Uh, so uh, trying to uh, prevent teens from vaping be- as because of these, this unfounded concern that it's a gateway drug to tobacco smoking seems less uh, urgent since teen smoking continues to come down year after year. But now there's evidence that uh, the teens who were vaping, when the vaping is taken away from them, they actually move to tobacco. So the vaping is actually preventing otherwise tobacco teen tobacco smokers from smoking tobacco. Also, in in uh, 
jurisdictions where it's become more difficult for adults to get vaping equipment, particularly flavored vaping equipment, we there's evidence that they're going back to tobacco smoking. So all of these efforts, the, the, this war on vaping, which is completely not, it's not has no basis whatsoever in the scientific evidence, is actually probably having the unintended consequence of making people go back to tobacco smoking. Also, uh, it, there's this f- fixation on nicotine as some sort of really dangerous drug, yet nobody seems to have a problem with people chewing nicotine gum or using nicotine patches to prevent them from smoking. And there are many people who once they switch from tobacco smoke to nicotine gum or nicotine patches, they stay on that for years indefinitely. And nobody seems to have a problem with that. But that why then do they have a problem with them getting their nicotine in the form of a vapor? The only thing I could come up with to explain that is that looks like smoking. And since smoking is bad, we can't let people engage in a behavior that in any way makes us think of the act of smoking. Jeff Singer is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 